Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige movie. This time we're talking about the 1999's The Green Mile. It was directed by Frank Darabont. Yes, that Frank Darabont. He did The Walking Dead. Gosh, what what you know, the, the, the meme where it's like the world we lived in, if uh, you know, whatever. And it shows like those, uh, you know, uh, 1960s popular mechanics magazines that have everybody living in like domes and skies, you know, everything's gleaming and energy efficient. The world we'd live in if Frank Darabont didn't have The Walking Dead ripped away from him in season mm-hmm. two. Uh, you might recall that Frank Darabont also did uh, uh, the, the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. He's a, he's a little bit of uh, also did the F- mist, which I think mm-hmm. is going to come out later on in spooky season. We've already recorded it. Yeah. Uh, going to have a bit of a Darabont kick here. Uh, screenplay also by Frank Darabont. He famously turned this around in eight weeks um, with the help of uh, an aging cat. It's based on The Green Mile, a serialized novel by this uh, by the same name of the movie by Stephen King. He's done a little bit of things. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the most prolific and famous and wealthiest uh, horror novelist of all time. This movie stars Tom Hanks. He's he's America's dad. He started off in Bosom Buddies. We've seen him in Forrest Gump, Apollo 13. He's been Mr. Rogers. He's been the castaway. What a guy. David Morse, one of my personal favorites, who you've seen in Contact, Disturbia, The Rock, 12 Monkeys. Bonnie Hunt, uh, who's been in Rain Man, just saw her in that. Jerry Maguire, Jumanji. Michael Clark Duncan, certified bald move badass, one of the coveted 1C physical champions. Because mm-hmm. uh, look at the man. Holy hell. Right. Uh, this is, did you know that just last week was the 10th year anniversary of his death? No. I didn't. He had a heart attack at the age of 54. Mm-hmm. Of course, he got a start in Armageddon. This was kind of his breakout role. He's also went on to star in the whole nine yards, Sin City. James Cromwell, Star Trek, The Next Generation uh, alum. One of the rare multi, multi-character performances in Next Generation. He was uh, Zephram Cochran mm-hmm. in uh, Star Trek First Contact. Also in Babe, L.A. Confidential, The Queen, and who couldn't forget his Emmy award-winning run in American Horror Story Asylum? Is in the new Pope? Or is it the young that, Pope? He was in one of the Popes. He was in one of the Popes. I think he was the mentor of Jude Law, but that yeah. he could have been an in, Yeah, so never mind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Graham Greene, uh, famous Native American actor who starred in Dances with Wolves. We just saw him in Die Hard with a Vengeance as a New York City cop. Doug, Doug Hutchinson plays... One of the all-time world-class assholes in this movie. Uh, he was also Horace Goodspeed and Lost, and he played the classic Tombs monster uh, of the week from X-Files in two separate episodes. Uh, Doug Hutchinson has had an interesting life since then. We might talk about that. We'll see. Sam Rockwell. This movie's loaded, guys. Sam Rockwell. Mm-hmm. You've seen him in Galaxy Quest, Charlie's Angels, Moon, Frost, Nixon. Iron Man 2. Last time I last thing I saw him on was uh, Jojo Rabbit. He plays a flamboyant uh, Nazi officer. Barry Peppers. See him in Saving Private Ryan at Battlefield Earth. Uh, Jeffrey DeMunn, one of the Darabont featured players. Most famous to bald movers as one Dale, the RV wielding driver in The Walking Dead. Um also, Patricia Clarkson. We just saw her in uh, Sharp Objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally she's different also, character. 
very different character. She's also amazing in the station agent. And Gary Sinise finally plays a, a, a little cameo here. Uh, famous from Apollo 13 and Forrest Gump. This is probably the third or fourth time I've seen this film. I saw this film in the theater. It wrecked me. Uh, this is a very emotionally powerful movie. It does have a couple of pretty big flaws um, that uh, uh, I've become aware of that I'll talk about towards the end of the review. But I'm curious to see this. Is, I, if, if I recall right, correctly, not directly, if I, if I recall correctly, this is the first first time you've seen this movie. It's a long mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Three hours. It's on HBO hours. Max, by the way, if you want to just give mm-hmm. it a gander and you're uh, on the on the hot D wagon, like I know a lot of y'all are. What did you think of the Green Mile, Jim? Yeah, I almost made the mistake of watching this on AMC Plus through my Amazon Prime subscription, but that has commercials ah. included. I've ne- I don't think I've ever seen long. that. They warn you. They're like up front. The due to contractual <laughs> licensing obligations, this yeah. is displayed with the minimum amount of commercials. But you still, commercials, you won't want so. it. You 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 no. won't want it. HBO Max is the place to watch it. Uh, yes, this is my first time seeing this movie. Somehow, this escaped me for twenty plus years, um, and I was pleasantly surprised because I was intimidated by the runtime. Uh, mm-hmm. Although the star power definitely eased that quite a bit when I saw who was in it. Uh, I, I just, I don't know how I got through the 2000s without seeing this movie because it's Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. Michael Clark Duncan, who I love from Armageddon. Uh, Come like get said, Papa Bear. 15 other people. Yeah. I mean, the pork rind, this scene alone puts him <laughs> in the pantheon. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up not watching it. So this was a treat. Actually, I felt it was really good. And, and I kept looking at this like through the Darabont lens um, and seeing, you know, his, his patterns and the things he does and how he's, he's able to create villains so well. Like there's one in the mist that is that rivals Mm. Percy in this, but Percy is just, he's evil. I mean, he's evil. It's like, and Sam Rockwell, his character evil in this, like, yeah, two of the all time great movie villains. Yeah. Yeah, Darabont just has a way of shooting these guys to make them seem singularly evil. Um, so I was really into that. And I mean, Tom Hanks is just great in this. Mike Clark Duncan, great. Um, he actually won or was nominated for the supporting actor role uh, in this movie. And I feel like that was well-deserved. He did not win. But uh, I don't know. I, I found it really good. I, I was I was... It was interesting because the experience of watching this movie, I kept thinking, boy, there's a lot going on here. And at one point during the movie, I see how it all ties back into each other. And I'm like, okay, now I feel like the movie is coming together. But that was like an hour in. And I kept thinking like they've dropped storylines for so long. We're an hour in and Michael Clark Duncan has only been escorted into his cell. That's it. And I know he's a major player in this movie. Yeah. How can we be this far into this movie already and not have done significant time with him? And every time I thought that, they immediately followed up with a scene to bring me over to that character. Like I, the next scene was a Michael Clark Duncan scene. And I felt the same about Percy. Like, boy, they really dropped that ball halfway through this movie. Nope, here's the Percy scene. Like every time I, it's immaculately paced. I think, and for a three-hour movie, it has to be. Otherwise, yeah. I'm just not going to be willing to sit through it. 
Um, so I found that really enjoyable. And then, yes, like you said, powerful emotional film um, that I, I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm looking for its its metaphor and allegory and what it's trying to say. And I think I see it, but we'll talk about it here in a bit. Um, and it's pretty good, pretty strong. Yeah, I mean, Michael Clark Duncan is halfway there, just showing up on set. Like you know, sure. John Coffey, this this mountain of a man, this gentle I, giant. Do they do anything to boost his height? I swear they, he's got to uh, be wearing yeah, lifts because James Cromwell is as tall as him. David Morse is just about as tall. Tom mm-hmm. Hanks is a fairly. They, I guess they put him on like a six inch plank, and okay. and there was a there was a there was a trench dug in the set specifically for Tom Hanks to stand in when he's talking <laughs> and walking because they literally uh, with make Michael him Clark look nine feet tall. He, yeah, he's just and the, the way when I, I love it when they're talking about like, what's this truck hauling? Like it's actually, mm-hmm. uh, you know, wheels are rubbing the wheel wells and you see him step off and boom, like they just sell the fact <laughs> that this guy is a fucking mountain. Yeah. But the thing is, it doesn't stop there. Like, I think Michael mm-hmm. Clark Duncan does amazing work. Yeah. In just really channeling anguish and joy. Mm-hmm. Um and really just like a just a raw nerve and then you you, you I kind I think kind of that's how he functions in the show you know in the, in the movie that he is this kind of like psychically raw nerve I don't want to get into many, many spoilers because a lot of people probably haven't seen this film and uh, it's definitely definitely one if, if you like to Shawshank Redemption stuff that makes yeah. you kind of think about life and uh, you know the nature of freedom and human expression and stuff like that I think it's a good one. Um, and, and I think Michael Clark Duncan's performance here elevates it above the trope of like uneducated slave who's accused of crimes by white people. Right. Like and, and I call it a trope because it's so, yeah. you know, often used for good yeah. reason, though. Right. I'm not trying to yeah. diminish that. But but he, he elevates it above that. It's not just that. I feel like there's more to it because of his performance. There, there might be another trope that he even even he's not strong enough to elevate it over. <laughs> but again, I I, don't, I, I really because, again, I'm not cynical enough to hate this movie. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. I remember the very first time I saw this movie in a the theater in a pretty packed house and how it affected people, especially some of these execution scenes, because that's one of the things I thought was amazing is how the execution serve as kind of like ch- chapter breaks in a novel. Yeah. Where they progressively get worse and more gut punching. But like up until the first one, you could almost think like this is just like an office comedy. You know, you got hijinks sure. and nothing. And, you know, they're doing and and then the first execution hits and it's like, shit, this is some real, real deal stuff that we're going to be dealing with. Um, yeah. We're going to be and dealing with the real sub- deal. <laughs> it kept subverting my expectations too there because I'm like, OK, I see what it's doing. You know, it's setting up it's going to use this um, first mock execution to get us in the, in the headspace for when the thing actually comes at the end of the movie. But there were several throughout this yeah. movie. And you're right. Every time it's used, it's used in a slightly different way to say a different thing. Maybe, you know, about the characters. It, it, I, I guess like the, the one thing I don't see a lot of in here is commentary on the very concept of executing prisoners. Yes. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just not what the movie was trying to do. 
no, but it necessarily it's, it's the second, comes up in my head when I'm watching. It's this. definitely the second flaw that I, I want to talk about towards the end of this. Um, okay. Okay. But yeah, I, I think the way it's paced, the way this movie is structured, I, I read the book that this was based on because uh, I was really excited. I had been a fan of um, uh, the Shawshank Redemption for a long time. I had read that through the Bachman books. Uh, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. I heard that Darabont was doing it again. It had Tom Hanks. You know, Tom, I was, you know, like Tom Hanks was like my baby's first serious dramatic actor. You know, we talked, I mean, we covered a lot of the shows that he's been in that got me excited for this. The Apollo 13, uh, um, Forrest Forrest Gump, uh, Castaway's a little bit into the future, but like, Mm -hmm. um, Actually, I think he did this immediately after because I, I read in some behind the scenes that, that Tom Hanks was carrying on a bit of weight because he was fattening up for the castaway role. And, yeah, it was like 2001. Uh, it was, it was yeah, very yeah, yeah, soon yeah. after this. Right, right, right. But I, I really love Tom Hanks, so I was very excited. I read it in advance, and uh, it's an easy-to-read book. And, I, you know, like I said, Darabont uh, adapted this uh, in about eight weeks, but it seemed like a pretty easy job. Like, yeah. you're just streamlining a little bit, cutting here and there, and the way he was able to tell the story fairly faithfully. Stephen King says this is his favorite movie that he's ever had adapted, or book, I guess, he's ever had adapted. Uh, yeah. He's, you know, Stanley Kubrick. Couldn't get that thumbs up. Uh, well, yeah, he had too, he had too many ideas in his head. Yeah, uh, yeah. Stephen was King didn't agree with all of them, and largely kind of name only. But man, uh-huh. there's just so like, and this is what I really appreciate is this is a full human emotion spectrum movie. Yes, it will punch you in the gut about as hard as you've ever been punched, but it's also hilarious in mm-hmm. places. Um, there's also just a lot of like you know the three hour movie. There's room to just watch people fuck around. You know, sure. moving, moving office furniture out of a room and hunting for a mouse and doing all these like it's it's and, but it's that kind of thing that makes everything work in that final act, yeah. you know, that you really feel like even though these guys are largely archetypal and they're antitypal of like, it must be said that mm-hmm. these are prison guards in 1930s Louisiana and they're except for one notable exception saints to a man. Yeah. The prison warden. Is even the one named Brutal as a nickname. Even Brutal. It's <laughs> a great guy, yeah. Or is not a shed of racism or sexism or anything to be had. Um, mm-hmm. But the, but you do feel like, you know, if, if you, you're like, okay, fine, whatever. They, they found the, the five good correctional officers in Louisiana. Uh, and maybe the one guy was bad enough to, <laughs> to, to, to make up for the, the, the other stuff. Um, right. But you do feel like you, I kind of like, even the ones like, um, was it, is it Barry Peppers? Is that his name? Uh, yeah, Dean, Dean. He's probably the one that you know least, but like he gets in enough that like, you know, when 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 you need him to hit an emotional moment, Jeffrey DeMunn also is another one who's kind of mm-hmm. like doesn't get as much screen time as Hanks and, and Morse. But like they're all even the guy that's running the switches. Yeah. By the end of the movie, like every, every everything is designed. So you feel all the emotional impact and like all the story is gone to serve that. And I think the coda to this delivers a wallop. And mm-hmm. the movie also just draws you in like it begins with a manhunt. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to like modern times. And there's an old man in a nursing home running around bawling at watching a Fred Astaire movie. And it's like, what the fuck is going on in kind of the same way? I guess like uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan does a similar trick 
where it like, you know, hits you with this kind of uh, uh, emotional thing that you're not really prepared to grapple with and then shows you by the by the time you catch up to the end of the movie, you're like, oh, fuck. Mm. So, yeah, this is one of this. this I, I still think you go, despite the flaws we'll talk about. I think this is one of my favorite movies. Um, and it definitely I, I was wondering if I would uh, if it was still delivered to feels. And it certainly did. Um, it's a great looking film, I think. Yeah, they recently did a 4K release of this thing. Um, I don't know if that's the version I watched, but I watched it on HBO Max. So if that's what they have. That's what I watched. Some credible use of light and dark uh, and color, um, you know, especially in dark scenes. Sometimes it's uh, I've heard it can be a struggle to film uh, people with black skin. And uh, Michael Clark Duncan looks amazing throughout this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um I think that uh, like the, the all the costume and setting look like they're just com- you know rock solid. Um, the the details around the electric chair are fascinating and horrifying, and largely based on you know real life executions. Um, and there like I said, a, the sorry. the movie doesn't consciously try to say anything. But like, I remember seeing this as a much more conservative person and it's one of the things that started turning me around on the idea of, 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 you know, executing people like this, the machinery of it, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you can get things wrong. The fact that like, you know, and I, I guess that's the other thing is like, uh, speaking of the anachronistically decent, uh, prison guards, you also have pretty, uh, anti-typally decent convicted murderers. Sure. You know, every one of these people have been spiritually shepherded through the process by the Saint Tom Hanks and have uh, ready, have, have, have repented and are going to God ready to stand before his righteous throne of judgment. Like it's that that's a bit too much, but no, I, I think that it um, it's hard to walk away from this movie thinking that the state really should be killing people. And, and sure, maybe this is a particular barbaric way to do it. But, yeah. you know, if you read anything about gas chambers, lethal injections, there's just as many botched ones of those as there ever were with electric chair. Um, and you almost always end up killing innocent people. That's the other, you know, uh, right. tragedy of it, too. So uh, what do we what do we I'm trying to think about, like, as I said, every everyone does such a solid job of acting, in particular, Tom Hanks and Michael Clark Duncan. Um, I don't you don't often see Sam Rockwell play someone this evil. Uh, he plays a lot of crazy people, um, crazy people. With sure. Loose. He plays. a He plays some dark people. I, I think like I, I don't know. This felt very much in Sam Rockwell's wheelhouse to me. Um, this guy, this guy's a lunatic. Okay. He also happens to be very evil. Um, but yeah, this felt very Rockwell. Uh, I, I thought this special- there's a there's a supernatural element to this movie that yes, the rewards patience. I would say mm-hmm. I I was, I guess I had a lot of questions going into the final parts of this movie that that supernatural element sort of wrapped up in a nice bow and. In like a very neat bow too. It's like okay, I understand exactly what they're doing here. Um, almost too too neat in a way, but mm-hmm. it worked for me. Uh, but yeah, so so just be patient with this movie because it is three hours long, but it doesn't doesn't feel like it. Uh, and your questions will be answered, I think. 
I think it does. Uh, I was about to hit on that. The supernatural element, I think, is well done. It's mm-hmm. pretty mysterious. It's very Stephen Kingian. Oh, yeah. And fitting in his kind of like good and evil system. And I thought the special effects, especially for its day, were understated and incredibly effective. Yeah. Totally. Um, like it really sells you on the idea that there is something cosmically unfathomable happening and yeah. not in like a really flashy kind of way, you know, and it helps that you don't know what it's supposed to look like. So true. True. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like, I guess it, it, like a positive life affirming witch in that way that like it's magic system felt very solid, understated and incredibly well done. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now, back with more Bald Move. Yeah. Um, what else do we... Is there anything else we want? I mean, we've gone for 20 minutes. I guess we can get into the spoiler section, right? Yeah, we should. So, if you haven't seen this film, I'm going to give you a breakdown. Uh, Tom Hanks is the uh, head jailer, the super, uh, the, the, the head the guard of the uh, cell block in this Louisiana uh, state penitentiary known as the Green Mile for its faded green linoleum floors. And this is the death row. His job as he sees it is to, he he says it as a long-term intensive care ward that you keep these people calm. You keep these people, uh, you know, taken care of and you try to shuffle them off into the next life as gently as you can. And all the guards take that charge seriously, save one, which is going to cause a lot of problems into this pretty settled and ordered way of life. Drops one Michael Clark Duncan, uh, who plays John Coffey, who is a, is a huge black man who's been accused of raping and killing uh, two uh, little girls in Louisiana. And he's been sentenced to death because of that. But like things just don't add up in Tom Hanks' mind. He can't see how a man so gentle... Uh, so friendly, so manifestly good could have been a part of these crimes. Uh, we through the as the execute as the years and executions roll on, we'll get to know some of these prisoners, uh, some better than others. We'll get to know the guards all extremely well. Uh, we'll under- come to understand the mystery of John Coffey. Um, and uh, the movie goes surprising places again. It's it's really, really rewarding. And for for whatever reason, this movie doesn't. Doesn't get as much love as the Shawshank Redemption. Um, I'm not yeah. sure if I'd say it's the better film, but I don't know that it's any lesser. And if you want to say that this film has flaws, I think the Shawshank Redemption shares a lot of them. So, like, it's not like, well, this is the one that's really this and that. And Shawshank is the one that does. No. So if and I, I, if you like Shawshank and a lot of people do, we did a podcast on it a, a while back. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you should. And you haven't seen this. If you're like Jim, definitely pick it up. Uh, let's get to the spoiler section. Fucking Percy, man. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, God, I for, I'd even forgotten half the shitty pulls in this movie. And the thing that makes it really work is that, you know, I think Louisiana is among the United States, one of the more famously corrupt ones in terms of like law enforcement and, and, and whatnot. Like that's just a reputation I've always had of it. Sorry if that offends any Louisiana law enforcement, uh, you know, quit doing shady shit. Uh, anyway, uh, that, that, that he is protected by his aunt, who is the governor's wife. Mm-hmm. And anytime he doesn't get his way, he can go running to them. He's got the power to break all of the, even though they all outrank him in seniority and command structure, he kind of has them all by the short curlies. And that's one of the things it's, it's one thing for him to be like, I think at one point Tom Cruise says he's, he's dumb. He's, he's stupid, thoughtless and cruel. Yeah, it's one thing to be that, but also to be in a position of power over these other guys, mm-hmm. man, they play that. And this guy leans into the shititude of it all, too. Yeah. Yeah, he absolutely does. He's he's great as the villain here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can only think of one villain I I viscerally hate more. And it's in another Frank Darabont film. It's The Mist. That that woman in that you're supermarket. About, yeah. Fuck her. Yeah. Um, and fuck everybody else around her too. They're terrible. Yeah. Um, it, here, here's the thing about Percy though. I'm, I'm trying to like determine just how connected and just how, I, I, I don't know. Cause there's some nuance to, to the relationship here. Right. Cause they use a, a threat against him a few times in this movie and it's, you know, the threat of like, st- oh, he stood by while somebody was getting strangled in a jail. Okay, he's a coward. He's a coward. And we're going to tell people that you're a coward. I don't think that matters. I-, I really don't think that could ever threaten a guy like Percy because he's connected. And people who are looking for power and clout and influence don't give a shit if you're a coward. They want to use you for the clout and influence you have. As long as you're connected, you're still good if you're a coward or not. So like some of these threats they were using against him don't land to me. Um, but I don't know how Percy views them. Also, I think that the film kind of leans into that. Like they do their best after they pull the John coffee scam and throw him in the rubber room to like scare him. Like, but they put all like, Hey, look, we've got all this dirt on you. We'll, you know, mm-hmm. brand you as this we will brand you as that. And lest you forget, we also know people, some bad people, too. And we'll just have you beat the holy hell. Sure. But but as they're letting him out of that, you can hear the other guards like, man, and he's probably going to talk it. So I I think the movie's opinion is he these guys are probably all fucked. But then Percy gets possessed by the evil gnats and things just kind of work out Uh, the the cosmic scales get balanced. Um, I like that the the ending is is really good when it comes to Percy because yes he he gets you know infected with this tumor or whatever from, from yeah. the wife of the warden but like they also it's very subtle but in the background like when they're when they're picking him up and there's like a cop there and maybe a doctor they're they're like oh yeah he pissed himself and all this stuff <laughs> so like all that stuff they said they were gonna tell people about him and threatened him with, they eventually ended up telling him anyway, which I thought was right. Great. Right. Yeah. Cause they have to explain like, what the fuck happened here? You know, yeah. what could this possibly? And like, I think that's um, this, it plays like a, a Greek tragedy. Like this is literally a deus ex machina, like late in the movie with 30 minutes to go, they wrap up the two main villains with uh, again, literal act of God as the mm-hmm. movie explains it. 
but it is so incredibly satisfying. Absolutely. Um, I did think so. There's a couple things because I haven't seen this movie in 10 years. I've changed a lot uh, over the years, as a lot of people know. Um, The one thing is it felt like the movie is a little mean spirited with the way it depicted his fate, which is very poetic. Poetic justice, him ending up as an inmate in the correctional mental institution that he was going to transfer where he would undoubtedly torture the holy hell out of these people. So he's he's here as a mentally, you know, like the 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 the, the Nats God went through and fucked up his mind. And he's kind of a drooling, per, uh, 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 you know, not there person. But the movie is playing kind of this light, ironic, hijinksy kind of like this is a funny scene, which doesn't sit well with me. Maybe I'm just too. Hmm. I mean, like even a shit like Percy doesn't deserve this. Um, the other thing is, like, did you think Percy is a little coded gay. Cause I, I wasn't felt, picking up on that. No, I didn't in every other. And they, yeah, cause I, you know, I, I grew up in a very conservative part of the country in a very conservative family and a very conservative religion. Didn't have a lot of uh, access to gay people. Um, I felt like he's a little coded gay and maybe the movie was aware of that because when they, he was into straight cartoon porn, I think. Mm hmm as what they caught him with at the end. So maybe they're trying to swerve away from that, but there was something a little lispy and swishy about him that I thought was, and then the fact that he's wet in his pants and kind of unmanly, he wasn't willing to, you know, uh, the, the, the put his neck out to, to save a fellow guard. They were doing that. And I, I didn't know how well that sat with me. And certainly gotcha. the, the joy the movie took in his final disposition, I thought was a little, a little much. Yeah, maybe I just get too involved in hating these villains. No, but dude, I felt like I, it was I, warranted. <laughs> yeah, your first exposure to Percy. Yeah, it's Ugh. it's uh, it, it is uh, you just see red, man, and it's from the jump. Yeah. Like uh-huh. I thought, like I forgot how that they don't slow play that at all. He's just a monster, and that that second exit. Like I love the way that they show the first execution, mm-hmm. um, and. It seems like this somber um, kind of almost sacred ritual, a sacrament Mm -hmm. that they're doing. Very respectful. But then they bring they bring in the doctor and this guy's corpse is smoking and he does the thing. And then it turns out, oh, he's not even dead yet. Mm -hmm. So roll two again. So that's even shows you like even when it goes the way it's supposed to, it's not necessarily the thing that it's supposed to be when they get to that second fucking execution. Mm-hmm. Where Percy dry sponges Dell. Yep. It is. I've been to a lot of fucked up things in the theater. I don't think I've ever seen the reaction I've ever seen opening night at the nine o'clock show of this show with a general <laughs> audience. Like it felt like an extended witness gallery where like people were sobbing. <laughs> There was there was people like out like outbursts like when the fucking blue flames start shooting out of this guy's eye and mouth through the mask people lost their goddamn mind. What what was your reaction watching that at home? It was it was anger at Percy certainly. There's a lot of that in there, but it was also kind of hilarious to me. I don't know. Look, I I like <laughs> a lot. Yeah, of, I forgot that you're fucked up. You got I like the a lot of human centipede gene. Right. Like the thing is right up my alley. Human centipede stuff. Yeah, I'll I'll watch that all day. But like so I was like half laughing through this as I was going, God damn it, fuck Percy the entire time. Yeah. Uh 
but but it's so over the top too like i i I don't know this is a big complicated question because i i just have so many questions about why electrocute people like if you're going to kill people at all why electrocution it seems so imprecise it seems so drawn out uh so but it was seen uh, as the way of the future it was seen as the clear humane alternative to firing squads and and hanging people all right well let's shoot people into black holes to execute them or something that's futuristic <laughs> collapse them to a singularity yeah that <laughs> right. would honestly i'd sign up for that execution me too yeah one way trip sign me up uh no so i i have a lot of questions you know about just why do it this way why do it at all uh what the hell is death row for and maybe we can talk about that here in a minute but like yeah, I, I was laughing uh, through through the more extreme parts of it. Like when it starts out, it's horrifying. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, it went so far over the top by the end with the mm-hmm. blue flames and the smoking corpse and all this stuff that I, I couldn't help but laugh. Supposedly, that was based on a real life box desk execution that happened in 1990. Really? Uh, that this was an execution and it'd been so long since they used the electric chair because you know we don't kill people in a lot of states there's some states that they're kind of i guess still just still proud of it but um that they had for they had lost institutional knowledge that you have to use an all-natural sponge and not a synthetic one and they used a synthetic sponge for the prisoner and i guess it went just like this the whole the blue flames the the smell like it's uh, it was a real life like the 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 people throwing up and just thinking this is holy hell in the witness area uh and again this happened 30 years ago it's this wasn't like a long gone dark you know uh, period of our of our history so right. maybe it's not and it just top, looks like that, that's like the it. thing is like i think that they do a lot with us not knowing what these men are convicted for with the exception of john coffee who turns out is totally innocent um mm-hmm. but like you think of like god what would you have to do to essentially be tortured to death for several minutes until you're until you yeah. essentially fry alive you just burn alive uh to from this that, electricity yeah. yeah it's crazy to me that they send it through the brain i thought it was the heart that you wanted to hit with electricity Stop that. Heart. I think it's the whole thing. They, they take it from the top to your ankle. So like yeah. you got a, this this lightning bolt that's going through your brain, your heart, your central nervous system, your spine. And I've heard that if everything goes right, even though the body is screaming and convulsing that like after the when the voltage hits you, you're done. Like okay. your brain ceases to function with, I don't know, a thousand volts at. Yeah. Just 10 amps or whatever. Your, your yeah. Yeah. Stuff yeah. Yeah. Going the, on the, and you can't think you can't feel nothing. That makes that, sense. But it, it is. It does not leave pretty corpses. They even showed that with the first guy that like his eyes, like bulbs out of a socket and mm-hmm. his like veins had ruptured on his face because it's a tra- it's traumatic to the body, whatever it does to what, whether you're aware of it or not. Um, it cer- certainly does a lot of like that's also well attested. One of the reasons they put the the hood on the prisoners is to spare the witnesses from seeing, you know, your eyeballs exploding and, and you're, you're biting through your tongue and shit like that. So, uh, yeah, horrific. And then Percy is there, you know, after that first execution to examine the body and, and look at it and get all aroused by it. And, you know, I, I'm fucked up. I like seeing movies like this. But boy, if I was in that situation, that's the last thing I would be doing. God, I was rooting the first time for Brutal just to break this dude's neck. Um, (laughs) And like, I I love that for like um, Percy was taunting the corpse of this guy and Brutal comes in and like he's, you know, he done paid the price. He's square with the house again. Get your fucking hands off him. Um, 
I do. I got to say that if you're going to do state run executions, I would hope that death row is staffed by men like these. It's not. Yeah, it's not. But you would hope that people take the job this seriously and take the human element of it to heart that, you know, like, hey, we got to do a thing. It's the law. We're not going to take pleasure in it. We're going, you know, that this is already the ultimate punishment. There's nothing that we need to do to add on to it and add stress and endanger ourselves, endanger the other prisoners. Um, yeah, so yeah, fucking Percy, man. Let me ask you this. I've I've long had this question. Let's assume for a second that I believe we should be executing people for crimes, mm-hmm. that there are crimes so heinous that you could deserve to be killed. Um. Why do we leave people on death row for years? Why don't we just say, okay, we've convicted you to death. Uh, we've sentenced you to death, rather. Uh, you get to say goodbye to your family, and then we kill you the next day. That's it. Done. Why That's, Why are uh, we housing and feeding people who are condemned to death I see you've spoken decades. to my father, Jim. Uh, you know, he, you might want to subscribe to his newsletter because, uh, yeah, he's uh, just out back <laughs> really? in a bullet. Okay. It's 25 cents and you're done. I, the, yeah. the real answer is, is because we have a justice system that allows a person to uh, appeal. And sure. in cases of death where it's like the ultimate penalty that you can't like most times you can let a person out of prison, you can restore money to them, you can give them, you know, damages. But if you kill a person, there's nothing you can do. So the justice totally. system but after defers. The appeals process, well, the appeals the process just takes fucking forever. You know, like imagine if you were allowed to, like they, they, they talk about the fucking justice system collapsing if everyone just requested a trial. Forget about an appeal. Just if like 95% of the people that were convicted of a felony decided, you know what? I want my jury trial instead of doing a plea deal. The justice system would implode. So sure. imagine like how hard it is to wrangle a, uh, a, a death case where the state is deferring to the pl- the defendant and giving them every opportunity up to including to the, the, the Supreme Court. The governor can review it to get. So one of the reasons and that's one of the criticisms of the system that it's extremely expensive because you end up having to house people for five, 10, sometimes even longer, 15 years to go through the process. Uh, and it's 10 times more expensive from a legal perspective because you're doing to go through all these higher appellate courts Um but that's why, because the so state death row is literally the place where people wait for their appeals process, to for their complete. appeals process to run out and for last clemency. And after everything's okay. gone and the governor's not made the phone call, then they get they get. The, why do we make that like a, why do we make make that a separate sort of thing from just general population prison? That's a good question. I think it's because like society's mores got caught up way faster than our system, because like on in honestly, you go back 150 years and pretty much like a posse would just round you up and string you up, you know? Oh, sure. Like you're just, you know, uh, maybe you got before brought before the judge and then the next day you'd get hung. Maybe you piss off the town so much they just string you up and hang you for justice. Mm-hmm. Um, this, you know. Uh, Which is wild to me, like with how this movie starts and where yeah. they find Michael Clark Duncan, that didn't just happen. Um, that's right. That's another how, how thing. How he could of, ever end up on death row is crazy to me. But the way this story is set up, because that's the thing is like I was reading a Stephen King uh, interview that talks about like why John Coffey is black. And uh, we'll talk about this again later. But Stephen King's stated reason is he wanted a protagonist that 
no doubt in this set and setting that he would instantly be found convicted and without too much looking into the evidence. But sure. I was the same way. Makes sense. You got all these white dudes with hunting dogs yeah. and shotguns and like Literal law enforcement forks. that are probably 90% of them KKK members anyway. Mm-hmm. And they find this guy covered in blood, holding these mangled bodies, wailing. Uh, they just don't shoot him like right then right. and there. Right. Or lynch or what, whatever. You know, I think lynching literally means like extrajudicial killing. I always thought it meant like some kind of hanging. Oh, but no, it's yeah. just an extrajudicial killing. I, it's, it's, it's like I feel like it went too far the other way. Uh-huh. But it's like, yeah, of course they'd convict him and he'd just be dead. This is 1930s Louisiana. Come on. Right. Yeah, but that's fine. Uh, they needed it for the setup and, and it's worth it because the rest yeah. of the movie's great. Yeah. Uh, I did think, you know, along the lines of of the justice system here, I, I felt like it, letting the guy who killed Delacroix's mouse be the one to put him to give the order to put him to death is fairly cruel. It didn't really strike. Like, I know they're kind of in a rock and a hard place here, like because they want him gone so bad. They want him gone. This guy's a shit. This is the only way he's going to leave. Let's let him do it. But. I don't know. And it's only because I like Delacroix and I think this probably happens all the time in real life where you have monsters um, and not not all of them, but you, you occasionally probably have a monster putting to death someone that they have a personal grudge against for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think Another that's question like what I have about it is why is the yeah. generator for the electrocution hooked up to the grid the, the the building's power grid. Why not just make that a separate thing? I don't know. They they mentioned that it it makes like half the prison light up. So it's like I, I got the idea that it's like it's literally bleeding through. You know, it's like it's got so much power. But I, I don't think this is any I don't think it need, you need that much. Fuck. I don't you don't need like a fucking substation power to electrocute a person. No, no. You can, do, you can do it. You can do it. 120 out the uh, out yeah. the out out the tap if you're standing in water. Like uh-huh. you know, I yeah, I think some of this was a little because this is not a real electric chair. They built one that's based on one, and I, I think that they might have taken some liberties to make it. Uh, Darabont said that he wanted the electricity to sound like a caged beast or a demon mm-hmm. that's being unleashed. So like building this thing up to where it's got it's rising the shrieking roar before they roll to. I think is that might be a little bit you know heightened reality and it's pretty effective when you know people are being electrocuted and the lights are glowing extra bright and you got mm-hmm. sam rockwell swinging from the ceiling right. shouting uh that's i think the frying. real reason so that you can cut to coffee and uh, wharton and all these guys you know bouncing off the walls knowing that one of their inmates is being electrocuted and then and mm-hmm. that the, the, the they are you know kind of next in line and they're all in this green mile marching toward it like that's probably mm-hmm. why so you can get and it's uh it's a nice visual counterpart from john uh coffee's powers that in you know are giving life that also overload the voltage with a process that t- takes life yeah um and how it's like using the same kind of like energy and power in different ways maybe mm-hmm. uh I like this stuff i was introduced by james Con- cromwell to one of my favorite phrases that i only break out on very rare occasions <laughs> i know what it is what in the blue fuck was that hearing <laughs> the farmer from babe who has been like this uh, genteel kind of christian guy throughout the movie hit you with the what in the blue fuck uh oh 
chef's kiss of cursing on that one. Love it so much. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, there are a couple of other amazing moments that I love. One of the funniest moments in this entire movie is when Tom Hanks is kneed in the groin uh, right mm-hmm. after he's had this just horrible bow with his UTI. Yeah. Uh, and him just sinking to his knees in the prison and then laying face down on the floor put as much of his body against that nice cool linoleum as he possibly could Uh he's holding his crotch it's absolutely hilarious never forget you young kids Tom Hanks started off as a comic actor Mm -hmm. and every once in a while when he gets on SNL and he's doing his David S. Pumpkins or whatever you'll you'll remember that but he does a lot uh, facial mugging and just like in this case full body mugging and it's hilarious in this movie yeah then coffee you know grabs his crotch takes his infection from him uh-huh he he goes home and bang and i i he, he no no he goes into the water closet here and he has just this pee session tell, that is tell so me you painless had subti- and free tell me you had subtitles turned on i did not why what These does it say <laughs> the subtitles when he first cut, let's go, go, go with that that glorious stream of mm-hmm. urine is you in brackets urinating fully and easily <laughs> and, his and face that expresses that thoroughly that it's, was an academy nominated performance of someone urinating fully and easily after after uh-huh. a particularly bad uti yeah hilarious I love it. Yeah, it's it's so funny. Um something oh, else funny. Yeah. Did did you notice it kind of the interesting accent work here yeah i i don't know how to rank this accent because it's a period piece and it's I, a period piece it's I'm it's louisiana familiar. but it, it felt yeah. very three stoogesy like certainly sure. like david morse says like, we just gotta accept how this works uh-huh. uh and the I, maybe that's like a creole thing because i i feel th- i feel like the delacroix 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 um, the Dell guy who was a uh, Cajun through and through, and I guess yeah. he took dialogue coach. He had a lot of that oi kind of mm-hmm. to uh, his his ovals, but I it it yeah, it sounded very curly from the Stooges to me. It sounded like it could have been a a gangster accent. Yeah, uh, too, but I don't associate that to Deep South Louisiana. No. no. More, more the north and the coast. It's more foghorn leghorn than than mm-hmm. uh, soitenly, but what do I know? Let, let me ask you this. Is there an implication that not only did coffee cure Paul's uh, UTI, but he also cured a little bit of ED that he might have had? Because he goes home and he bangs like four times. Yeah, for poor uh, Bonnie there just got the uh, hangst, hangst over and over again. I mean, uh, she didn't seem too sad about it, but I thought, man, their relationship is so cute too. Um, for middle for middle aged people still being affectionate in film, I it's mm-hmm. my my interpretation is John Coffey um, infects people's life, right? Yep. Um, he when he does it accidentally. It gets away from him and he you get a Mr. Jenkins and a Tom Hanks situation at the end of the film. But whenever he cures you, uh, I feel like that you got a little bit kind of like in Cocoon when the old folks jump in the pool mm-hmm. with the, the the alien cocoons. They just get a little extra spring in their step and sure. it it wears off bigger. Mm-hmm. except for like i said when 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 it gets away from coffee on the two occasions it does and it like more of him escapes than he he means it to but yeah i, I think kind of like yeah that was like a minor 
jinkinings he got. Gotcha. Maybe we should talk about that because that's one of the things I found most interesting about the movie is. Yes. Uh, it's supernatural element and how it ties into its themes um, yeah. and its kind of thesis on life. And I, I found that was interesting when, you know, Tom, because the entire movie I'm thinking this age doesn't line up like they've casted Tom Hanks. Well, that, here's what I thought happened. I thought the scenario was we've got a prison guard who's supposed to be like 20 years old and they cast Tom Hanks and we're like, we can fudge Tom Hanks maybe to be in his late 20s, even mm-hmm. though he's probably like 35 going on 40. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they cast his wife who looked even slightly older than him. And I'm like, there's no way that these ages line up. This is just classic Hollywood right you know uh, rope yeah, a dope yeah, with yeah. ages uh-huh and the entire movie i'm thinking that and i'm like well it's just, i'm just gonna have to live with that and then we get to the end and yeah. they reverse that they give you a reason for all that to be true that made total sense in the context of the film so i was really happy to see that they did that um and and the way they wrap that up is coffee gave him part of his gift which made him live extra long so when you see this old man who in my estimation must have been like 95 years old. He turns out he's actually 108 uh, because he's lived so long because of the gift coffee gave him. And the horror of what is to come that like, he's got this field mouse Uh who is what's 70 at least like, and like what's the average lifespan of a mouse, like a year, two years. And this mouse is still going. And he thinks, my God, what does this, I, what is what does this uh, add up to when you when you put it into a man? Like, am I going to mm. literally have to endure for hundreds of years? I think they uh, messed watching. Up, they made him yeah. too old. I, it, it, so, so there's a balance here, right? There's a balance between like what is believably old that a man this age could have lived and had a family in the 1930s. Yeah, and what is too young that you would instantly go, well, there's something magical happening here because he's way too young. Because, like, you know, by based on the scale of the mouse age, I think he should look more like he's 50, not like he's 85. See, I thought the mouse looked like he's a very old mouse. And my uh-huh. idea was it doesn't spare you from the aging process. It just is going to keep you alive. And because this and guy doesn't look 108 years old, right? He looks like he's in his 70s. And maybe, yeah, maybe the mouse got more of it because... Uh, John Coffey was truly out of control in that Um, with the Tom Hanks. He just had to get a little, you know, he was so overcome with all the shit that had just happened with the curing of the cancer and the, you know, being touched by the evil wild bill that he had to let some of that evil back out of him. Um, whereas the mouse got like, you know, he's completely different. Like it's like, got like a thunderbolt of it, but still that's the thing. It's like at the end, like you really feel for this guy. Like, you know, you've seen, you know, he's like, I'm not immortal, but like, I'm, my penance is going to be stuck on this planet. Uh, and witnessing everything that I love or care about die essentially. Mm -hmm. And then you think about John coffee who had the purest form of that. How long did he live? Right. How much has he seen? How much, evil and and sorrow and pain had he seen to be tired enough of it to just say yeah I, I don't want you to fight this I don't want to run away I'm just done with it we'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause and now back with more bald move we don't know I mean because it's funny because like what do we know about John Coffey his initials are JC <laughs> uh uh-huh 
uh, Gary Sinise says that it's like he fell from the sky, uh, describing the fact that this guy came, just sprung up out of nowhere as a full adult with no documentation. No, it's probably not super uncommon. So I, I think that that's like it's it, it wouldn't be like, oh, my God, this is what the hell? We don't have a birth certificate in this guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like he could have been a, a perhaps a former slave. But even then, he'd be old for that. So, like, yeah, maybe he's been around for a long time. Probably. Um, you know, like if he's like, what if he was like one of the first brought across the boats? Like he could have gotten here in the West Indies at, in 1600s and been seen the very worst, miserable parts of humanity. Mm-hmm. Or he could have dropped here or he could have come down from, you know, from God 40 years ago and been fed up because, you know. Sure. And met Percy uh, and been like, I'm done. I, that's one of the things um, in the movie that and maybe it makes more sense if you think that he's been around here for the sum total of U.S. slavery and the mm-hmm. Jim Crow era immediately afterwards. Um, because, like, one of the things I felt like the movie is telling is that most people are fundamentally good. And there's just a few, like, maybe born bad people. But, like, John Coffey's experience seems to be radically different from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, man, I feel like the movie could have done a lot if they started to, like, critique systems rather than individuals. Which I'm getting closer to my critique of the movie itself. Sure. Um, but it just doesn't, like, you just, I don't know, he's just, he's just a Christ figure. Uh, yeah, definitely. Plain and simple. I mean, yeah, he, he takes he takes pain and evil from people and processes it into healing good. I don't know. And then dies uh, kind of like after he forgives everyone there for knowing not what they do. Yeah. It's very, very JC. Yeah. There, there's this weird, um, you know, push and pull between like giving people life and that life being a curse in a weird way. Right. John Coffey sees his life as something to be tolerated, something to be endured. Um, And he's able to do good for other people during that time. But what is he giving them? He's giving them more life, which by his estimation would be a pretty negative thing. So I don't know. It's, it's, he's taking pain, but he's prolonging what he views as a necessarily painful thing, Mm -hmm. which is existence. Yeah. And, that's that's how I read it. and the green mile is is your life, right? I mean, that's that's right. the metaphor here. Everybody has to walk it. Everyone pays the same pay, the the same toll at the end. One death. That's what you owe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the whole he killed them with their love, and that's what the whole world is like. Again, I don't know that I agree with that. Uh, sentiment literally but i don't know i mean it I made me think about like if i was a uh, i sometimes think about this if you're a psychic or if you were uh someone that uh could read minds your mind reader mm-hmm. would it be horrifying to know how many people are fucking just evil and up to no good or would it be comforting to know that most people are just thinking about themselves and their families and you know what they're wanting to eat and the movie they saw last night and that like you know everyone is kind of within one standard deviation of fucked upness from the other and you got some extreme outliers because of whatever reason but like I'd have always thought that it would be net good if we could read each other's minds because I think we'd find out that we have a lot more in common and we want a lot more out of the world that's the same than like oh Jesus Christ my neighbors are fucking psycho like I don't I don't think that but it seems yeah. like from coffee's experience it, it's the opposite but maybe it's just that the negative things overwhelm the positive things like the negative just gets so much 
you know, like the best person you stack them up and there's walking down the street. You probably, they don't, they're, they're probably not calling attention to themselves. Right. But you get the worst person, somebody like wild bill. Mm-hmm. And he's like literally the center of every attention that he goes, you know? So like, maybe yeah. it's one of those things where like evil just won't shut the fuck up and good is just kind of like trying to muddle through, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I look at, you know, his uh, coffee's situation, coffee's lot in life, and he's kind of cursed with this ability to help people. Uh, and so all he sees around him are the negative things, the bad things. Um, mm. and, I, and all that comes to him is bad and negative. And I think that yeah. could influence his, you know, opinion of things. Yeah. You know, he sees all the cancer, the all the disease, the tumors, the... Because he does, yeah. Of people and yeah, he. I mean, he sees good people too, but that's not that's not his focus, right? His focus seems to be helping people. And I guess so if you see, open up evil the to the concept of cancer and natural disaster and things like that, yeah. then yeah, there's a lot more evil in the world than 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 you would you'd think. Sure. I love the structure of this movie. Like I said, it ends up with this old man losing his shit at a Fred Astaire movie. And then the way that movie, it, the new movie comes full circle. And John Coffey is like the, one of his last requests is he wants to see one of them flicker shows. And they mm-hmm. show him this Fred Astaire and, and the way they frame his head where it's behind the projector. And it looks like just a classic Renaissance halo. And mm-hmm. he's just there just like, just being his mind blown by these beautiful, graceful people dancing this beautiful music and you know Tom Hanks and everybody just kind of soaking it into him a uh, hundred years later. Well, no, eighty years later, like losing his shit seeing that movie. I thought that was really good because again, I'd almost forgotten that that had happened three hours ago until they sure. hit it. And uh, I don't think the movie needed Dakota. Like you didn't need the, but like it definitely. It's one of the things that sticks with you the longest. Is that like, yeah, classic. It's almost it's uh, sneaky horror. You know, yeah, I, I think I did need it. I, I had big questions about the age thing. Like I said, okay, I, yeah, I, I needed you picked to up understand that, that yeah. he was older than I thought he could be. Um, for for that to make sense, although, like I also said, I was prepared to just accept it because that's what Hollywood does sometimes. I thought it was interesting that uh, when he cured Patricia Clarkson, not only did he cure her of her uh, brain cancer. Also gave her a studio quality makeup job. That's mm-hmm. the the his powers are such that it can take a lemon sized cancer out of your head and also just give you flawless brows, r- makeup, hair, everything. Just just takes it all. It takes all the pain away. Yeah. No, they had to make <laughs> it's a it trip to the salon. <laughs> I didn't I didn't understand um, some of that stuff like with the Patricia Clarkson where she gets up and says I was in a dream and we were both in dark I'm like I didn't that's the one thing that still remains a mystery to me I di- I don't yeah. literally know what the fuck they're going with on that I don't either like it almost applies she saves him as he's saving her but like you can fucking do nothing man right at least Bonnie made him cornbread yeah uh, and the, the mouse like fetching the spool I didn't understand that either what do you mean I kept expecting like to somehow this mouse to be a mouse a reincarnation of one of the characters oh. or something like to, to have it be so smart. I guess it was just a trained mouse. Was this like a lab mouse that escaped somewhere? And that's a good, you know, I've never even considered that, that like, 
above and beyond it having this long ass lifespan, it came kind of like a trained circus mouse. It was this yeah. tame and it, but it came before John coffee. So like a, you, if, if it came after you might think that like, it was like, they're a package deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's just a question lingering question I had about the movie. I wonder how this fits in. I've never read any meta analysis about how this fits in with Stephen King's cosmology. Um, I wonder if this does fit into the steam and the, uh, you know, cosmic turtle and the, the, the deadlights like is, you know, uh, is wild bill, a uh, Randall flag, uh, mm. shard is John cough. Cause like there are a lot of magical black folk in Stephen King's works. Sure. Features heavily in the stand. Uh, I wonder if you're supposed to understand that like um, the, the old wise black lady from the, the stand is like a descendant of John coffees. Hmm. Um, I don't know because like I, 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 re- I remember getting really deep because you know me and lore god damn it I love it I got really deep after the first it movie uh, into like the the cosmology and how this ties into like the dark tower and how there's a consistent satanic figure and all this stuff and I don't know. I doesn't feel like it, but it does have those supernatural elements. They do. I kept on thinking, especially when he was taking whatever it was out of Patricia Clark's that looked a lot like the steam that was released in like Dr. Sleep. Gotcha. Yeah. I I don't know. The, the thing that always blows my mind is when I see Castle Rock entertainment Mm. (laughs) making Stephen King adaptations, but knowing they're not affiliated with Stephen King, it's Rob Reiner's, studio but they but also right. they're named after the stephen king town sure so yeah. it, it's always a little confusing uh to me Th- there was one other thing in this movie also that was confusing why don't they just tell the warden about what coffee can do in order to this whole plot like in the middle there's a plot where they want to cure patricia arquette of her brain tumor and so they sneak John Coffey out of the prison. They prison break him. And they take him to the warden's house. And the warden is on his porch with a shotgun. What? Who are you? 2.30 in the morning coming up. I'll blow your heads off. They say it's him. And then, they, and then you know, John Coffey is revealed. And he's like, don't fucking move. I'll blow you up. Why don't they just say, hey, warden. Dude. Yeah. If, uh, you've told me about your wife. I think there's a solution here. And it's this John Coffey guy. Let me show you what he can do. Because you could demonstrate this. You don't even have to like say, trust me, he can help. Let's break him out. You could just demonstrate it. I want to say it's because in the book, the warden was a lot more racist. Uh, maybe not atypically racist for a person in his position and age, but like pretty fucking racist. And he had to be borderline restrained to let this large, powerful black man into his wife's bedroom to kiss her on the lips and do all that. Well, I'm saying but I'm not 100 percent like, sure. L- let's take it all the way back to that, like he would just hey, never discover what John Coffey can do. Yeah. And let me go to the warden who I know his wife is suffering and tell him, hey, I discovered John Coffey can do a thing. Let's bring your wife here and see if he can do it for her or. OK, you don't believe me here. Let me crush this mouse's neck and show you what John Coffey can do. And then believe me. I wonder if John Coffey would do that. Like, it's one thing because, like, you know, there's this this whole like God's not to be tested, you know, kind of even though God gets tested by faithful men all throughout the Bible. (laughs) But you can't you can't test him now. 
Um, I, I wonder if it's something like that, like John Coffey would not be down with like a parlor trick to demonstrate. Like it's like you either take it on faith or you don't. Um, Maybe so. The problem is they never even entertain the idea but also it's just like straight yeah, to prison break they and have like, to That's and, and i i think they could have just had one scene it's like you know the warden is never going to go with it for this sure. but like because yeah it's, it's a tall sale you know it's like it's this convicted guy who like i thought the gary sinise speech was interesting mm-hmm. that like you know the way he's like yeah i get it that john coffee seems like a real good guy and it's just hard to believe but like you know consider the family dog that bites the child out of nowhere and what do you do you know when you're uh, I thought so while we're on the subject, I thought it was pretty fucked up to use your your child as an object lesson. Come here, boy. Sure? This Show this eye. stranger your mangled face. God damn. He's never going to see out of that. Oh, God. He's like, it's uh, you're, you're lucky to have the one eye, aren't you, boy? Aren't you? That's mm-hmm. right. Say thank you to God for the one eye, boy. Now get out of here. Go like, <laughs> God damn. Like maybe yeah. you could surreptitious say, hey, watch this kid. Do you notice anything about my son? Like, but yeah, to call mm-hmm. him over to be like, I need to win an argument with this fucking corrections officer <laughs> that wants to trust John Coffee. Get over here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Do we have anything else? Because I, I want to talk about, I, I got to say, because I imagine there's been people screaming. I got to talk about what I think are the flaws of this movie. Yeah, I just brought one up. So we, we you know we've already kind of hinted around it, but like the whole magical Negro to- trope. If yeah. you need like uh, a primer on why that can be offensive, there's a whole Wikipedia article that's pretty well, pretty good. Got lots of example. If you want something a little less stuffy, TV tropes has got you as well. But this is a particularly pernicious example because this magical black man exists seemingly only to take the pain of white folks away and to mm-hmm. dispel their guilt at the things that they have to do because of the systematic nature of their job. Yeah. Like, holy shit, this guy is here to like take away our pain and suffering and alleviate us from our white guilt. Um, yeah, it's not quite like slavery apologism, but it's, but... it's pretty close. <laughs> Yeah. And the other critique I have is this movie is all about the individual and finding these people praiseworthy or blameless or critiquing Mm -hmm. them and and condemning them. But it says nothing about the systems, you know, in this movie, justice works well. Men commit these heinous crimes. They go to the Green Mile to atone. Uh, Tom Hanks shepherds them with his other saintly guards in with compassion and wisdom. And they just accept the justice of their death and they go into the chair willingly. Uh, none of these men working as correctional officers in the deep 30 South are, you know, share any of the flaws common to them. None of them hate their wives or uh, I mean, there's a little bit of that with the warden where he, because, you know, 1930s, like they didn't trust women with checkbooks back then. He had the burden of knowing his wife was going to dive in an operable tumor. And oh, my God, how can I tell her? The doctor told me <laughs> she's, ironic, she's only given. slightly more capable than a child to handle her affairs. So, oh, my God, what am right. I going to do? I can't bear to tell her. Um, but like they don't really that scene is almost a noble thing rather than like it's kind of fucked up that this lady doesn't know what's happening to her because yeah. she's been infantilized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's 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 they don't have any of those flaws. They're not sexist. They're not racist. Uh, they're not bigoted in any way. They're just they're just good people because that's what good even in the deep 30 South. Good people wouldn't be racists. Um, right. And then like, you know, the, again, the one flaw of the justice system 
was a John Coffey, but who can blame him? I mean, he's this huge black guy that's screaming his head off with two dead girls in his hands. Like it's entirely the movie's almost like it's entirely understandable that this flaw happened. And honestly, the good men were ready to, to, to undo it. But John Coffey says, no, no, we can't do any of that foolishness. I got to die because I'm just too tired, boss. I'm too tired of living. You know, uh, the old man river. Uh, start, he starts that shit up. And yeah. And then he contrasted to bad people who there's no explanation. There's no bad childhood. That Percy came from a wealthy, entitled family. They're just evil. They're mm-hmm. just fucking evil. There's bad uh, and like I said, I think at least one is uh, coded at least a little gay, maybe both of them, because it seems like Wild Bill is very much into fucking boys, too. Um, and one of them's a heinous pedophile. So, like, they get their just deserves. And again, I'm not cynical enough that this stuff ruins the movie for me, but I think you'd be foolish not to at least point out that this is, in a lot of ways, ass backwards way of looking at things. And. Sure. Even you know when I first saw this, I was a lot more conservative than I am today, and it kind of pried my mind open of like, man, it is kind of fucked up that we kill people. It's fucked up that we got this death row. Uh, what what if death row was administered by some just normal person? Like, what if it wasn't a saint? And then if it's just a normal, what if it's just a ran by a fucking sadist? Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really. It's it's almost like the. Uh, I think it's a very conservative critique of like, yeah, there's problems in the system, but you could solve them with good people. You just got to get sure, the right sure. people pulling the levers. You got to get the right people wetting the sponges. You got to get the right people uh, serving as ju- a jury of John Coffey's peers in 1930s Louisiana. Well, and you yeah, wouldn't have the these problems, right? But mm. it's fucked up at a systemic level, and the opposite would happen. You yeah. put guys like Tom Hanks in it. And he will be burnt out and a cog in the wheel and a real probably shitty human being within five years of doing that job. Yeah. So CNE, David Simon work. Um, yeah. Yeah. The closest it ever gets to any kind of commentary on uh, the, how messed up the system is, is when John Coffey, like they're saying, hey, is there any way out of this for him? Can we right. can we like. The state's not going to overturn their verdict. Um, I had a religious experience that proves the innocence of this man. Yeah, yeah. Right. How how do you how do you submit new evidence based on those grounds? You can't. So, like, yeah, even if he is innocent, the state is not going to recognize it. That's as close as they get to it. But Mm. it's it's a brief moment in a three hour and nine minute movie. It's like a line. Yeah. So. And, and you'll notice that this shared a lot of flaws with because uh, like in Shawshank Redemption, one of the primary critiques of there is like the movie is essentially a black man witnessing mm-hmm. a white man's liberation that then sure. the white man helps free the black man yep. who couldn't do it on his own. And again, I, I love Shawshank. It's a great movie, mm-hmm. but like you can enjoy things and still be aware of the fact that they have maybe, you know, these elements that are. uh uh, cut, I mean, I, I think the, the problem is it is like these narratives run counter to the spirit of the movie that like if you take the lessons yeah. just from what the movie is teaching you, you won't be equipped to solve the real problems that it's, ta- that it's, it's trying to tackle. You know, yeah, it's, 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 it's a fantasy. Every, sure. This is definitely a fantasy movie. I, I don't think every movie needs to be a critique and takedown of the system either. I think like I can. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I can enjoy movies for what they are. Um, while also recognizing flaws, both maybe in the the film itself, but also in the systems around that the film deals with. So, 
yeah, this doesn't sure. need to be, you know, an in-depth investigative report on the the justice system in America. It can just be a Tom Hanks, Michael Clark Duncan vehicle uh, for some excellent acting and some high emotion. Oh, yeah, it definitely gets there. All right, well, that wraps us up for Bald Move Prestige this week. Listener, did you know that almost every week we give our Patreon audience, our executive producers, uh, an option? We give them three movies that uh, we could uh, talk about. Uh, the producers overwhelmingly selected Green Mile for this week out of the slate of three movies that we curated. If you want to get in on some of that steering of the of the uh, Prestige feed, and if we ever get uh, overloaded with Prestige, steering the Pulp feed, uh, it's one of the many benefits from being a club member. Go to support.baldmove.com to find out more about that. And we will see you with another prestige film real soon. Until that time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.